The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Fast Money starts right now. I'm Melissa Lee. Tonight's trader lineup, Guy Dami, Tim Seymour, Dan Nathan, and Karen Feinerman. Tonight on Fast, Elon Musk has a new rival in his sights. We will dive into Tesla's big move to quiet down an EV startup that has been taking the market by storm. Plus, a major mall deal goes bust, sending shares of Taubman tanking. But one of our traders is taking the opportunity to buy into the name. We'll find out why and how long will it take for travel demand to truly recover. We'll take a look at the one chart that may suggest things are getting back to normal much quicker than we all thought. But we start off with the Nasdaq's record day, the index closing above 10,000 for the first time ever, led by big names like Amazon, Apple, and Microsoft. But the run was cliff midday when Fed Chair Jerome Powell said the Fed wasn't even thinking about thinking about raising rates, with the Nasdaq pairing its gains and sending the broader markets close to the session lows. So does zero forever, what does that mean for this rally at this point, Guy? Well, it means, uh, you know, I've, everybody said it, so I'm not splitting the atom here. I'm not breaking any news, but it means we've absolutely gone the route of Japan, like it or not. And, and that's seemingly the course that they want to take. I think it's absolute madness. I have no idea why he couldn't have just said we remain data dependent and that's it. I'm shocked that he felt it necessary to say we're not even thinking about raising rates. I don't understand what that is. I'll say this. That, to me, seems to be the same autopilot today's statement that, the, that he said back in October of 18 on the other side that he got, and I'll use the word, fricasseed for. So, you know, we're data dependent. That's it. Next question. And by the way, um, does it lead to wealth inequality? Well, he seems to think not. I think the Fed and central banks uh, globally are the main reason we are seeing this huge chasm between the have and the have-nots, not only in this country, but globally. Yeah, there you go. I don't know, Karen, if you're surprised by the market reaction at all. I, I, when I heard that, I automatically thought, and maybe this is just my nature, that things must be really bad if he's saying that he's not thinking about thinking about raising rates, that we're that far off from even contemplating that move. Well, I think, I mean, yeah, it was a little more uh, downbeat than I had thought, but it doesn't, it, it, it makes sense to me that they really want to ensure that the credit markets are functioning smoothly and that in order to do that, I think uh, they have to, the credit markets need to believe that he, they're still there, the Fed's still there, which I think we all sort of believe that. Um, so in some case, I think, in some ways, he's just sort of restating the obvious. I do think it would be too early for him to say we're already thinking about how we can exit down the road. I think it's too early for him to say that. So uh, I, I'm not as pessimistic as you are. <laughs> Tim. Well, I, you know, 
at a time when companies are not willing to give forward guidance, the fact that the Fed's ready to go out there for almost two years and say we're going to be close to zero uh, or at zero, quarter to zero, uh, is, is really hard for me to understand. Um, what's notable about some comments that were made in there, uh, they, through the 128 months of the expansion, uh, they've been unable to get above their 2% inflation target, which means the Fed has no control over inflation. So let's be clear. Um, I, I am concerned about this. Uh, as a market participant, though, uh, this is, this is a, just what we've been fed, but a massive spoonful uh, from the last five years. And, and, and so this is not a W. This is not a U. This is not an L. The markets have given you a V, and they've given you a V, and they've given you a V where I, I think the sense on where volatility, we will have these bouts. Uh, but as long as the Fed is in here like this, this is exactly uh, what you get. You get lowered inflations. You get valuations that don't mean much. Uh, and, and I think this is the case where you had this move back into these mega cap names, better uh, growth, but really growth at a reasonable price at this point over value. But this is coming after what had been a vicious three week run for the value stock. So if you want to say this is re-rotation, um, in other words, rotating out of the rotation, um, that's great. But um, I'm not so sure that this is suddenly a massive move. We had a massive move. Uh, and two days of the Nasdaq outperforming the S&P by three and a half percent is extraordinary. But I don't think that has to be the next three days. Mm. Dan. Yeah, I, I think the divergence between the S&P 500 and the Nasdaq 100, I think, is massive. I, don't, I can't tell you, you know, that that it's it portends some some immediate crash in equities or anything like that. But it does tell you that um, people are getting back into defense. I mean, the, that Microsoft, Apple, Google. Amazon, that is defensive. That's what led us off the bottom in March and was showing great relative strength. So the fact that these stocks have broken out the way they did, um, you know, is pretty amazing. I'll, I'll just say this about the Fed, you know, um, Jerome Powell, that guidance, I mean, he's doing what I guess he thinks he needs to do. Uh, just so you know, uh, the markets are working just fine, uh, by the way, even the credit markets. So I'm not certain why the, the pedal is still on the metal. And as it relates to that charlatan Larry Kudlow this afternoon, on the exchange. I mean, what are they talking about? How great the economy was. Earnings were down year over year in 2019. We had nothing but, uh, you know, multiple expansion in the S&P 500 up 30% because the Fed started cutting rates again and they started doing QE again in the second half of last year. So to use Guy's term, it's kind of madness. And I'll just make one other point. You know, we've been talking a lot about the banks. You know, I got fricasseed, as Guy would say, also off that move off the bottom. But what are they telling you right now? Look at the XLF. It was a perfect, perfect rejection at its 200-day moving average. It's down below the breakdown level in March. Uh, JP Morgan, a name, that's the one you keep an eye on. Also down about 8.5% from its highs just a couple days ago, or the recent highs also rejected at a, a key technical level. And again, I'll just say 105 is the level. I think the banks, if they fail here, they're telling you something. And I don't think it's bullish that Microsoft was up nearly 4%, Apple up nearly 3% today. I mean, you have $6 trillion worth of mega cap tech stocks once again, just dragging the market around. Yeah. And Karen, I was going to go to you on financials. I mean, like it or not, financials largely trade on the perception of a steep yield curve, whether or not that has a direct impact on, uh, you know, their business itself. And so here we are with Jerome Powell saying, you know, zero for a very long time. Um, does that make you concerned about this trade? Well, I think there were some other things going on. They were down even before uh, Powell started speaking. I think there were some negative comments from Wells Fargo about their net interest margin. And I think that was weighing on the stock somewhat. I think also 
they've had an enormous run. Um, I, I don't, you know, I don't love a zero interest rate environment, but we'll, we'll have to see. We'll see in early July how credit quality is evolving. One of the other things Wells Fargo said that was bearish was about them needing a bigger provision uh, for the second quarter. We'll see how the banks, uh, how the other JP Morgan in particular, what they're seeing in terms of needing to uh, increase provision. I, I, I would be surprised if it was a meaningful increase. So I think all those things together, a little, a little, you know, zero, a big run up and negative comments from Wells Fargo made for a cocktail for a pretty bad down day for the banks. Yeah. What do we make the guy of, of the big cap tax, the ones that have gained, uh, the ones that are gaining even more, that are increasing sort of the, 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 cha- the chasm between um, the haves and have nots in the markets at this point. With what Powell said today, does it make that particular rally even stronger in your view? It, it seems pretty impervious right now, right? And, you know, and Tim has mentioned this, Karen is as well. I mean, they, they've become, maybe for good reason, uh, seemingly the safety trade. I mean, that might not make sense, but clearly that's what's going on. But again, and, you know, I'm going to get added for this ad infinitum, but, you know, Apple, as you know, you see the move in Apple, and Apple's at an all-time high. It's a wonderful company, but it's clearly not doing it on uh, robust earnings or revenue growth. It's doing it on multiple expansions, some of which, by the way, is justified. We've talked about that uh, ad nauseum as well. What it tells me is to look somewhere else. So as well as that did, I look at the IWM today, and I see it down more than 2.5%. And I wonder, uh, the Russell, which has had a monster move, off the March low, I think somewhere around 54% or thereabouts. I wonder if typically that leads us to the upside. Is today some, some sort of precursor on the back of these Fed comments? I don't know. I'll say this quickly because I've seen this movie before as well. You can go back and look at a number of times when, you know, whatever Fed person has said whatever he or her has said, you have a down day in the market only to be followed up by some huge monster rip on the next day and some sort of delayed reaction. So just keep that in mind as we go into Thursday, Mel. Yeah, Tim, you look like you wanted to jump in. Well, I, I just think there are there are trades here that still could be interesting. And, I, I, you know, a day like today seems extraordinary, but so were, I'm going to repeat, the, the three weeks before this. Look, the IWM is not as bad as it appeared today. Banks, the story on banks is not today. It's also not what it was from the last two weeks. You have to understand that, that banks... Uh, who were really just beaten after they gave their their Q1 numbers and they put in reserve numbers that were you know certainly very concerning for people. They were strong reserve numbers, as in they were they were being very conservative. Um, you know we we've we've slowly slow started to unwind this, and and Karen has said this, I have said this. There have been very many times in the last month and a half to two months where there was either something was not right, the the market was not right, or or the banks were not right, and I think largely it was that the banks were not right. In other words, I think the, the banks were, were still being treated like there was uh, credit issues that I'm not saying are not out there. But I, I just want people to take a deep breath. And, and uh, these moves have been violent uh, on both sides. But I, I don't think that the move today suddenly means everything we were talking about for two weeks before this is not happening. Uh, the value 
value stocks were beaten up. If we have any sense of recovery here, I think there's still some room for them to run. Uh, there's no question that MAGA stocks and mega cap tech have been defensive for the last four years. Anytime you get this kind of a move. But um, I, I think we just need to, to relax. These are extraordinary moves. Uh, the market's had an extraordinary run. Um, and I actually think, if anything, the trends that are probably the, the, the newer ones here uh, is that the dollar stays weak, um, that resources continue to rally, that foreign stocks will continue to rally. And these are things that I think investors have to pay attention to. Look at the Chinese Internet stocks. Um, they continue to, to roar um, at a time when there's been a lot of geopolitics. And yet that's a trade that makes a lot of sense in the new economy. Yeah. And look at some of the more speculative plays in the markets. I mean, this is something that we've been talking for uh, about for a while, and that is the rise of the retail investor. I want you guys to take a look at this at this chart that we, we came across. Um, when the line is falling, it means that the most popular stocks on retail brokerage platforms like Robinhood or E-Trade, they've been outperforming some hedge fund top picks. The big decline started back in the fall when many brokers cut commissions to zero. It's only accelerated in the past two weeks. And look at some of the stocks seeing the most interest on Robinhood, Nikola, no revenue, Hertz declared bankruptcy, top ships with a stock price of just 18 cents. I bring this up once again because we are witnessing a market that seems to go up and up and up. Uh, Fed Chair Jerome Powell says rates will remain near zero for a very long time, which seems to add some fuel to this. Um, this seems almost, Guy, like a recipe for potential <laughs> disaster. Should there be a pullback, we are going to see many, many retail investors out there burn suddenly. It's easy to make money when the markets are going higher. Yeah, everybody looks like a genius in a bull market. So, you know, I'm, I'm 56 years old, so I've been doing it for a while. Dan will look at me quizzically because he thinks I have a seven handle. But be that as it may, I'm wrong a lot. I'm wrong all the time. The market is extraordinarily humbling. But a lot of these people that have, in my opinion only, that have gone from sports gambling to uh, market speculation have never really seen the markets go down. And so they're emboldened by their success. Uh, I hope they don't confuse that with really understanding what's going on, because quite frankly, after 30 years, I don't understand what's going on. It's a dangerous recipe. Uh, I do think it, it can only end badly for those folks. And, you know, I hope they don't sort of look at us again quizzically, because we're just trying to help. But, you know, a little, a little bit of knowledge sometimes is a dangerous thing. And just pushing buttons and watching things go magically higher, I mean doesn't work at infinitum. Well, I want to get out also, what does this tell you about the nature of the markets? If people are not content enough to invest in Apple going after record high after record high each day, and they have to go into a Hertz, or they have to go into a, a Top Chips or a stock under a buck, Karen. It's insanity. I think, and I, I, I mean, I think Guy's right. This is sort of the new gambling. Now that maybe when sports open up, we'll see if they, these names trade less. I think that some of these investors feel like, all right, if it starts to go down, I'll sell. But it wouldn't be the least bit surprising to have a stock gap down, right, where you don't have a chance to sell. And, you know, they don't know what to do. And it's clear a lot of these investors have no idea what they're investing in. So could Hertz triple? Absolutely. It could. Anything can happen. But could it go down by 60%? Absolutely. That, I would say that is by far, by far, far the more likely outcome for all of these kind of names. It's, it's insanity. I think our new favorite game on this show is now if the markets were a song. 
I tweeted this out yesterday, guys, and we, this is something that we've been, and I got so many responses and great responses, so thanks out there for sending them in. Um, take the money and run, crazy train, bubbles, um, blood, sweat, and tears, <laughs> if I had a million dollars, the gambler, I mean, the list goes on and on, and they're all sort of of the same ilk. I mean, Dan, obviously this, this market's a little bit different in, I'm sorry, distracted by the cat in your background, um, in that, uh, the people who are playing in it are, are going after very, very, very different sorts of names. <laughs> I, you know what? I'll just answer a question. I don't know what the question is, but, you, you know, uh, here, here's the thing. I, I think what's really important is that we are clearly in a stock market mania. I know there's a lot of really smart people out there who know a lot more than me about economics and such who say it has nothing to do with the Fed. Um, but, but really what the Fed is doing is they just told us this. They want people to go out the risk curve, right? And they want to put capital to work. And so what has it done? It's really created a scenario where, you know, risk assets are going up. So it's driving people in. And so whether it's bankrupt companies whose stocks should be going to zero because the equity won't be worth anything, um, you know, or it's just piling into Apple. I think that there's been an interesting debate going on between what the big money is doing. Um, I think you just said it in a way why they don't want to be an Apple um, or Google, but they're willing to kind of just be speculative on things that have no earnings. And I think what's clear about a day like today is that the big money is going back into the thing that have big moats. If interest rates are going to be zero forever, that means that these companies that have great balance sheets and tons of cash and can borrow whatever they want can continue to buy back their stock. They can continue to buy whatever competition they want. They can continue to invest in their companies um, and do whatever it is that they need. And so you have that on one side. I'm not particularly worried about the other manias. I've been in this business for 25 years. I've seen manias blow up. This one will blow up. Some people will become very, very wealthy on it and other people will have to sell their homes. And that's the thing. I think what Guy's trying to say is that there are risks to this market. It is a fully legal regulated platform, but there's tons of risks. And when the music stops, there's a lot of investors who don't have a whole heck of a, no a lot of knowledge about what they're investing in or anything about risk management who are going to be very sorely hurt. So I I'm sorry that we can't um, you know, we can't encourage what, you know, all your fun on lockdown, but this is a hard game. It's been our profession for a very long time. And, uh, you know, look at me. I, I, you know, I look a little pain by this whole thing. So uh, take it easy, people. Yeah. The cat looks great, though. <laughs> uh, coming up, Tesla's rally charging higher, but another electric automaker is trying to pass it on the left. Should you tap the brakes on your Tesla investment here? Stick around for the trade, plus Amazon inking a new partnership to get deeper into banking. We've got much more on that straight ahead. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones, from powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY, a big idea that inspired the world to invest differently and still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out shares of Tesla surging past the $1,000 mark for the first time after Elon Musk upped the stakes in its ongoing electric truck war with upstart carmaker Nikola. We're going to fill a boat to break it down. But first, Phil, you've got a news alert for us on Delta. I do. Uh, Melissa, let's take a look at shares of Delta because the company dropped an 8K this afternoon. And in that 8K are the pricing terms for a new debt offering. They're looking to raise $1.25 billion. 
through a six-year note. The yield, 7.3%. This is going to be open for the next couple of days. This is not a surprise, guys. We have seen a number of airlines say, yeah, we've, got, we've raised a lot since March. We're going to be raising more in the second half of this year until they feel like they're out of the woods again. $1.25 billion in additional money that Delta is hoping to raise with this offering. Now let's shift gears and talk a little bit about Tesla. And the memo that Elon Musk sent out this morning makes it very clear that as a lot of people may be talking about Nikola and the prospect of Nikola building electric or hydrogen fuel cell vehicles, Tesla is not going to sit idly by and not build electric semis. And this is what Elon Musk wrote in the memo that he sent out to employees today. It's time to go all out and bring Tesla Semi to volume production. It's been in limited production so far, which has allowed us to improve aspects of the design. If it feels like you've been hearing about this Semi for a number of years, well, it's because you have been. Back in November of 2017, Elon Musk stole the show that night in terms of when people were saying, well, what's he going to unveil? What's it going to look like? And it got a lot of attention. The prototypes have been driving around in California for the last year and a half or so. The selling point, lower cost than a diesel engine semi. And Tesla says now is the time to bring this to market. By the way, the battery production for this, as well as the powertrain, it'll happen in Nevada at the Gigafactory there outside of Reno. And that is... What's interesting about this, the fact that they are now committing to building the Tesla Semi. Meanwhile, Nikola, we've talked about it a number of times over the last couple of days, and that's because the stock has just exploded as investors have said, wait a second, are these guys going to build an electric Semi? Well, they say that they will be, and the company says it will be building the electric Semis from Nikola in Germany. But guys... We have yet to see more concrete plans from Nikola, aside from the fact that they plan to build these. They also are developing a hydrogen fuel cell semi. So we are seeing the electric wars heating up, not only with this, but with pickup trucks, electric delivery vans. That's a hot market that's uh, picking up, not only with Tesla, but GM and Ford, a number of companies that are going to be in that market. We are really seeing the, the move forward in terms of electric vehicles. I'm really waiting, Phil, for the two CEOs to go at each other. I mean... Um, the CEO of Nikola today tweeted something. He didn't at Elon Musk, but he basically said, you know, our, our fuel cell for the truck is going to be about 10,000 pounds lighter than theirs. So there's, a, there's little, like, you know, jabs, but there hasn't been a, yep. an all-out sort of response. These are two guys who, who love to use Twitter to their advantage. Right. And I think what a lot of people are looking for with Nikola, I mean, with Elon Musk, you can at least look at that prototype and you know that there are some that are out on the roads. With Nikola, people are saying, okay, let us see it. Let us get a chance to look at this up close when you actually start building this in Germany so that we can do an apples to apples comparison. Mm -hmm. Because right now what you have are the plans that have been announced by Nikola versus the, the electric or the Tesla semi that has been announced and shown by Elon Musk and Tesla. Yep. Phil, thanks. Phil LeBeau. Now, um, Chartmaster Carterworth wasn't able to join us on tonight's show, but we did want to get his take on Tesla, and he was kind enough to send his technical take along on a postcard from the Hamptons. He writes, Tesla just now moving above its February 4th spike and fail high of 968.99, a textbook breakout by all accounts. I would think Tesla is headed to the 1150 level, say long, be long. And here's the Chartmaster's handiwork, plotting Tesla's rise through a prior high, heading, heading up, up, and away from here, according to his eye. So, Dan, is there still more room to the upside here, or is this another uh, have-at-it, have-a-ball people kind of stock for you? 
Well, listen, you know, Carter has actually charted this thing fantastically on numerous occasions, going all the way back to its lows, I think below $200 less than a year ago or about a year ago. Stick with Carter's call. If you took that chart and you took away the axes and you took away the name, I'd tell you that's the most beautiful breakout I've ever seen in my life, right? It's to the penny to the penny, as Carter likes to say. Hey, listen, I said this the other day, you know, this stock trades like they're about to buy SpaceX. SpaceX was last valued, I think, a year ago at $36 billion. This company has a $190 billion market cap. Um, could they make a knockout bid for this thing? They already bought his uh, whatever that, that solar thing was, uh, solar, solar city, city or whatever. Um, and then, then you get 100% of Elon Musk's focus on uh, you know technologies that are truly innovative. I mean, maybe that's what's going on because it just can't be on the $26 billion they're supposed to squeak out a tiny profit on in sales this year, in my opinion. But this stock also lives sort of at the intersection, the magical intersection of big cap tech and frothy sort of speculative growth guy. And, and I like Dan's. That actually originated with you if you took away... If you took away the axes, you took away the name of the stock on the chart, and you looked at the chart itself, what would you see? What do you see? It's funny. When, when, when Dan was watching me do the show in the 1970s when he was in grade school, he saw me say that, and he just figured he'd rip me off now in 2020. So I do appreciate that. And listen, exact, Carter's been spot on it. You know who else has been spot on this? Uh, Brian Kelly, who's not with us tonight. He put the Tesla, if you recall, in the desk drawer and said to forget about it. He's been spot on. I know I've been dead wrong, and I say it every single night. But what I have said is all you need to know about Tesla, in my opinion, is on May 2nd, I think, or thereabouts, when the stock was somewhere around $700, Elon Musk came out and said the stock was too expensive or too rich or too high or too something. And now 43% later in you know a month and a half or so, here we are. It's... It's wonderful, and they're clearly people that understand it, and they're doing very well with it. And I'll continue to say, if it's worked for you, there's nothing that seemingly uh, is going to stop this meteoric rise. All right. And we should note that you won't want to miss our interview with the founder and executive chairman of Nikola, Trevor Milton. He'll join us on Monday to talk about the stock's recent run and the future of electric vehicles. Maybe we'll also get his commentary on Elon Musk. Coming up, madness in the mall space as a major deal collapses. Her chairwoman went shopping in one of the names. She'll explain her strategy next. And later, Lululemon stretching higher ahead of earnings. Should you namaste in the name? That trade and much more straight ahead. More Fast Money in two. Every day, thousands of Comcast engineers and technologists put people at the heart of everything they create. Like Olu Sheyi, a Comcast engineer who grew up bonding with his dad over sports. This inspired him and his team to create AI Highlights technology that uses AI and machine learning to detect the major plays in a sporting event. So millions of fans have a way of catching up on their favorite sports. Learn more at ComcastCorporation.com. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close? or travel somewhere far away. At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. 
Welcome back to Fast Money. A major mall deal appear, appears as if it might be off. Simon Property Group terminating its $3.6 billion agreement to acquire high-end mall operator Taubman Centers. The reason, fallout from the coronavirus pandemic. Taubman firing back, saying Simon is obligated to move forward. Shares of Taubman plunging on the news of the deal's collapse. Simon Property also trading lower. Um, Karen, your reaction was to buy one of these stocks. Why? Yes. Well, to buy, to buy Taubman. I mean, Simon can't quit the deal. You can't just quit Taubman, not with that merger agreement, right? So this suit that they filed is flimsy at, at best. Taubman will come back swigging. They have by far, it's not even remotely close, the better argument. It's not even, it's not even a fair fight. So to this morning, to me, the, this presented the best risk reward that we've had in months. We've always known T- Simon wanted out as soon as COVID became an absolute disaster for the malls. We know they want it out. Just because they want out doesn't mean they can get out. So when it opened down sharply this morning, and I got it nowhere near the bottom, it actually traded in the mid-20s, which is a great price. I was in the low 30s. That risk reward is the most compelling because I think the overwhelming likelihood is a deal closes. Maybe we have a negotiated deal for a less price, but it would certainly be higher than here. So I'm long. Okay, so but what if what if the other outlier scenario is that the deal gets broken up? Could Taubman sell itself, or would you be just stuck with that stock? You're you're stuck. There's not there's not a chance they would sell yeah. themselves at a price that this deal is tremendous for them. I think the stock could go down by could go well half. It could go, mm-hmm. but I think that this merger agreement is airtight. They have right. by far the better argument. This is the risk and risk arbitrage. Uh, She's playing the arbitrageur guy. I don't know if you learned how to spell it since. It's been a while. Um, I don't know if you typed into a Google machine, but I guess it's hard to spell things if you can't spell them in the first place into Google. Uh, Let's get more insight into the failed merger and the virus's impact on the space from Dan Hurwitz, who ran mall operator DDR. He is now the CEO of Raider Hill Advisors. Dan joins us on the CNBC Newsline. Dan, it's great to speak to you again. Good to hear from you, Melissa. Hope you're well. Uh, all well here. What is your sense on on this deal and how tight this agreement is? I mean, to, to try and get out because of a material adverse event or because of a disproportionate impact from the virus on Taubman. I mean, those things seem to be hard to define, at least in court. Well, I think we have to keep in mind these are two very sophisticated parties. And this was uh, an agreement that was negotiated at a very different, very different time. And I think both of them have an obligation to exercise their bargain for rights as they see fit. And, and what's in the best interest of their shareholders? I think Simon obviously took the first shot this morning, and Taubman has responded, and I think this will continue for quite some time. Um, having not seen the agreement myself, but been involved in many agreements similar to this, to this I think it's a difficult argument to make, while at the same time, um, you really don't know what's going to happen to the industry. You really don't know what has happened uh, behind the scenes during the period of time when that agreement was executed and, and, and where we are today. And I think the discovery will, will tell us where this is going to fall. Yeah. Um, how, from your perspective, how uncertain are, are things for the operators of malls right now? Uh, I mean, some malls are, are starting to reopen. Others are still... Um, shut because they they are in more densely populated metropolitan areas. Certainly the consumer might not fully be back. Um, What's your sense? I mean, are you ultimately, are you glad you're not heading up a REIT right now? (laughs) Yeah. No, I I mean, things are enormously uncertain in the mall business today. 
more so than, than, than people think, candidly. I mean, we have a situation where we have NOI declining, we have foot traffic declining, sales are going to decline, and if sales decline, rent declines. So, so it's a very difficult scenario. Right now, um, some centers are reopened, sales are okay, they're pretty good. It's a little early to tell, candidly, because you can always buy sales by taking markdowns. And as retailers try to uh, disregard or do away with their stale merchandise, they're taking pretty large markdowns at this point in time. So you can always buy sales by lowering your price, and I think that's what's happening. But that doesn't mean anyone's making money. So at the end of the day, I think the mall business is under under enormous pressure. Um, and while you do hear some good news about consumer sentiment, I think a lot of that is bought consumer sentiment, not genuine consumer sentiment, and it will be difficult to maintain over time. Uh, Karen, you have a question for, for Dan? I do. Uh, Dan, thanks for being on. So uh, recently Brookfield said they would uh, invest $5 billion in retailers, <laughs> and is that just to shore up struggling ones who aren't paying their rent to Brookfield? Or are there really th good things for them to buy? I think there's interesting things for them to buy. I, th I think there are retailers out there that um, are having a hard time uh, raising capital because of the business that they're in. And I think there are retailers out there that are good merchants that have uh, a good strategy and have good both e-commerce and bricks-and-mortar strategies and need capital. So as a result of that, I think Brookfield, who has an enormous portfolio in the United States and a, and a very fine portfolio, um, can offer an opportunity to certain retailers to make themselves different. I would be surprised if anyone invests in retailers and allows them to go to a competitor. I think if you can invest in a retailer that you believe in and get exclusivity and make your center special, make you different, I think it's worth consideration, and I think Brookfield is doing the right thing by mm -hmm. considering it. Dan, great to get your insights. My pleasure. Dan Have Hurwitz of Raider Hill. Uh, Tim Seymour, very candid comments hurting more than we all know or think. Well, yeah, I, I thought Dan's comments also, uh, he, you know, he pointed out in his notes that tenants who can pay and, and are not paying are tactically taking some chances here. It, it just seems like the, the pressure is all on the commercial uh, landlord at this point and, and that the tenant does have a lot of room to run. I, I think that the silver lining in all of this is there's a number of, of apparel retailers and specialty retailers that don't need those stores. Um, and, and so I, I don't see how this leverage uh, comes back to the commercial landlord anytime soon. Someone like Tanger uh, may be in a slightly different place. Uh, but again, I think for some companies, uh, I talked about L Brands, reducing that store count, even for Macy's, mm -hmm. is ultimately uh, the good news here. All right, we got some breaking news from Amazon. Let's get to Deidre Bosa. D. Hey, Melissa, Amazon in a blog post says that it is implementing a one-year moratorium on police use of recognition. That is its facial recognition technology. And, of course, this comes just a few days after IBM said that it would stop selling its facial recognition products over human rights concerns. Now, that put pressure on Microsoft and Amazon, two of the biggest players in this space, which have also faced scrutiny for their contracts with police enforcement agencies. Now, Amazon says, quote, we hope this one-year moratorium might give Congress enough time to implement the appropriate rules, and we stand ready to help if requested. Melissa, this is a big move because, like I said, Amazon and Microsoft are two of the biggest players in this space. Back to you. Uh, Deirdre, you've also got some news on Grubhub. Busy day for you. 
<laughs> it is. It's all coming out right now. That deal now official. Uh, Grubhub and Just Eat Takeaway, which is a European food delivery company, they are going to merge in a press release. Um, JustEatTakeaway.com says that it's creating a leading global online food delivery player. It says that this is the world's largest one outside of China, measured by GMV. That's gross merchandise volume. And uh, Melissa, this is an interesting move because, of course, we thought that a deal might occur between Grubhub and Uber, which would mean major consolidation in the U.S. food delivery market, which is hugely unprofitable. That would have combined the number two and number three players. Now with a European acquirer, it looks like that competition is set to potentially intensify even further. So on one hand, this is not good news for Uber that wants to be a big player in this space, but it is good news potentially for restaurants and consumers that could see more competitive commission rates and more discounts on the consumer side. Yeah. Deidre, thank you. Deidre Bosa. Uh, Dan Nathan, that means that competition is going to be very fierce in this space here in the U.S. Yeah, you know, investors like this deal. I'm surprised they like this deal, but I think Deirdre just said it. Less competition, that means lower losses, hopefully getting some synergies and having greater market share. You know, this company is expected to do $12 billion in sales this year and lose about $6 billion on a gap basis. So anything that reduces that loss makes a lot of sense. I just go back to Lyft. I, I, I just think that Lyft, a pure play on North American rideshare, rideshare will come back. I really think that they should be a part of a big company uh, like like Google, for instance, that has a strong investment uh, in autonomous and kind of wrap those things together for, for, the, um, for the data in the meantime. So to me, I, I much prefer Lyft here than Uber. Guy. Yeah, I agree. Dan, Dan's like in my head tonight. It's scary. I don't know what to do to get him out. Maybe I should, maybe if I close my eyes, there'll be no way for him to get in. I think Lyft is the play. And I think it's going to put pressure on Uber. And going back to Amazon real quick, I'm not really certain what this is all about, but I wonder if the administration in some way is going to come down on Amazon for this. It's going to be interesting to see if there's any blowback. Just my thoughts. All right. Coming up, a new financial friendship between big tech and Wall Street. Those details ahead. Plus, our travel fears easing. New data may point to a big rebound on the way. So what does this mean for the travel stocks? We'll have that fast track later on in the show. Welcome back to Fast Money. Goldman Sachs is teaming up with Amazon to issue new credit lines to small business vendors on the retailer site. This according to a CNBC report today. The partnership, which has reportedly been in the works for two years, is a part of Amazon's plan to expand its small business lending platform as the coronavirus pandemic has weighed heavily on the space. Um, this is interesting because this is Goldman's second tie-up with a major tech company here, of course, the first one being the credit card offering with Apple. And this sort of goes deeper into this notion of banking as a service, providing this sort of banking module to a large company like an Amazon or like an Apple guy and expands the Marcus part of the business. Goldman Sachs has clearly uh, done a 180 from their business model from when I was there. Maybe that's a good thing. I mean, we're going to find out soon enough. But And I wonder out loud, I mean, this gives them, you think about their partnership with Apple, now Amazon, it gives us tremendous access to huge amounts of data. And you wonder... What that means, uh, you know, I still think Goldman Sachs is Goldman Sachs in name only now. Uh, I don't think they deserve a premium multiple and they're not getting it. But it's an interesting foray into another avenue that historically they've been reticent to get into. So I guess good for them. Yeah. Karen, what do you make of this tie up? 
Well, I think it's part of the strategy that they, Goldman, this is that, that they've um, laid out, which is try to become more bank-like, um, to Guy's point about their business model changing very dramatically. And so this is another step along the way. They're very, very far behind the consumer relationships that a Bank of America has or that a J.P. Morgan has. So, um, I mean, I get why they want to do it. They want to have a more... Um, an earnings multiple that's not so lumpy and have a um, an income stream that also is not so lumpy. So I understand why they want to do it. Um, I, I, I don't know how much it changes for me, the Goldman Sachs story right now. I'd rather be in a J.P. Morgan or Bank America. Coming up, Lululemon shares stretching to all-time highs ahead of earnings, but option traders may be betting it's downward-facing dog from here. We'll tell you why. Plus, after a week-long rally, Sent airline stocks soaring. One big downgrade signals some turbulence could be ahead. We'll tell you why when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out shares of athleisure darling Lululemon stretching its record run even higher in today's session. The stock reports earnings after the bell tomorrow. And despite the recent strength, options traders aren't feeling very zen about these results. They're betting that these gains may not namaste around. can resist here. Mike has got the action. Mike. Hi there. So Lululemon right now is implying a move of about 7.5% after they report earnings, which they will do after the close tomorrow. That's slightly less than the average move that we've seen over the past eight quarters. And as you were pointing out, we did see puts out trading calls today. And the two most active were the 300 strike puts that expire next week and also this week. The ones that expire this week, presumably, those are options traders who are targeting the earnings that are coming out this week as well. They were paying about $3.75 for those puts. And interestingly enough, that, of course, would break even at about that 7.5% move to the downside. And one of the reasons they might be doing this, Lulu has been on an incredible tear. It's long been on my known Holly Index because my wife has shopped there quite a lot. But Athleta, I think, might be seeing some competition, presenting some competition for them now if I take a look at my Amex bill. So maybe people are just trying to book some of the gains that they've seen in Lulu so far. (laughs) That's what you call a channel check. Uh, Karen, you own this one, so are you concerned about where it is right now? Yes. I do, but this this has never happened before. I actually was a buyer of those puts today. I, I don't know if which strike, you know, I did the 300s because I want to know exactly what my downside is. I'm long. I'm long stock. I think that their revenues are going to be, I think the street is below where they're actually going to come in. I think they're going to beat by a lot on revenues. I don't know if that's fully priced into the stock at this point. So I want to be certain of what my downside is, but I am absolutely delta long. All right. Mike, thanks for the action. And we'll see you Friday. Uh, That's when the full show of Options Action airs, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Coming up, airline stocks faltering today after a big downgrade will break down the call that could be pointing to more trouble in the skies. And at the top of the hour, the CEOs of Marriott Vacations and Cirrus will be on Mad Money with Jim Cramer. That is tonight. Meantime, more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got a fast track for you where we take a look at the data that may tell the true story of where we are heading. Um, check out this chart. Fundstrat noticing consumers' fear of flying seems to be easing, at least this according to this chart of TSA traffic, which shows it picking up. If you follow the trend line, you might see a recovery to pre-COVID-19 levels by August, Fundstrat posits. Of course, this is an extrapolation of the data here. Guy, glass half full here, that's for sure. Yeah, people... Yeah, people, listen, I understand, I get it. You know, everybody's been cooped up for a while. They want to get out and move. Again, I am not certain 
And it's just my opinion that the, that the consumer will come back as in a robust way that the, the market seems to indicate they, they will. I, I just don't see it happening. I think, you know, the pent-up demand that the administration talks about may be there. I just don't see it. So in my opinion, a lot of these stocks have um, priced in so much good news. And for the life of me, I, I just don't see where it's coming. Now, with that in mind, I've always said I am the what can go wrong, will go wrong, half-empty person. So that's the, the prism with which I look at things. But you know, it's just the way I look at it's the way I believe things are going moving forward, Mel. Yeah, Funstrad also points out the, the rising mobility of Americans suggests that industry experts may be too negative. So you know what? We're going to talk about a downgrade. <laughs> J.P. Morgan today downgrading a couple of the airlines, JetBlue and United, sending those stocks as well as other airline names lower after what had been a promising rally for the group. So this goes to show you how people really differ in terms of how they see the data, because part of this downgrade is that they see TSA trend recovery rates likely to moderate this fall. Dan. Yeah, you know, Tom Lee does great work, and he does quantitative work. It's not qualitative like what we're trying to do here on this program. So I give him a lot of credit. They've done great work on the COVID situation. I will tell you this, though. If I look at Zoom with a $61 billion market cap, I say to myself, oh, who are they taking market share? Not just from Google or Cisco or whatever, from the airlines. You know, people may want to move. They might want to travel again. But until business travelers come back and start moving around internationally on those business class seats and on those... Um, first class seats domestically or whatever, these airlines are going to be operating very unprofitably. I haven't read the downgrade note, but I, I sense that has something to do with it right here. I just don't see it coming back by any time in the second half of the year to the pre-COVID levels. Tim? Well, business demand is definitely th that which makes airlines you know, profitable. And, and so the question really is, after we get through the summer, uh, JP Morgan's talking about excitement. Jamie Baker's, uh, I think, one of the best. Um, talking about the excitement of, of airlines uh, adding capacity for the summer. Uh, wait till we get to the fall where we see that business demand in inadequacy, I believe is, is his term, um, is, is not going to give them what they need. Having said that, that, that news by Delta at the start of the show, um, I think that's, that's a catalyst for airlines. At least those that can raise money without fear of dilutive treasury equity or loans that will require dilutive equity issuance, that's very good news. I mean, for, for someone like, for like Delta who can raise liquidity and, and while on a relative basis to the market and to where rates are, uh, seven and seven and a half, seven three quarters sounds high. Um, if you believe liquidity trends will return in a couple of years, Delta will be fine with this number and they're not going to have to issue dilutive equity. So um, I don't think airlines are any different today than they were yesterday, which means that they have challenged business models, but the markets recognize that the trends are getting better faster. Yeah. And for Delta, at least, they're raising, they're raising money, excuse me, raising money um, at the same time as uh, reducing the amount of cash that they're burning per day. Right now, it's down to 40 million from 50 million because of a slightly better schedule, Karen. So if, if airlines are able to sort of manage through this, maybe they get through the worst uh, and it's sort of like a bridge to the fall or to the to the winter. Right. Although in, one of the things it points out in the piece is where some of the debt is trading for these airlines and the debt is trading not consistent with the run that that the stocks have had. I know they pulled out a lot in the last two days. But um, so to me, I. I I, I'm just, I can't, I can't be long the airlines. I do think they will come back. I don't know what happens if it ends up being slower than we think right now, how badly these equities will trade. All right. Coming up next, we've got your final trade.
It is time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. Karen Feiderman. Yes. Um, so tomorrow night, as we talked about, Lululemon reports. And I am long call spreads as well as stock and puts, so I know exactly what I can lose. However, I'm doing the extended prayer move, which I just looked up recently. I didn't know what it was. I'm long. I'm doing an extended prayer for good earnings tomorrow in Lulu. <laughs> Tim. Markets complaining about the valuation overall, but I mean, in banks, you know, that's not an issue. And again, I, I think if you like banks two days ago, um, Citibank is certainly the valuation. And, and I think the dynamics to the yield curve are such. Uh, this is not the reason why you're buying Citibank. Get long. Dan. Yeah, U.S. Treasury has been very volatile over the last week and a half or so. The TLT, that was my final trade probably a week ago. It had a big dip, but it's back. I think above 160. Uh, I'm playing for the next rate move to be lower from here. Guy Dami. So just zips by, doesn't it, Mel? Zip, zip, zip. Uh, lift on the back of this Grubhub news. Back to you. All right. Well, thank you all for watching. We'll see you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast Money. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager.